calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Cinefix Top 100, our holy quest given to us by God himself to watch 100 of the greatest movies of all time. I'm Clint Gage, and with me as always, the witch who once turned me into a newt, but it did get better, Alex Stedman. Alex, how you doing? I'm good, excited to talk about this one. How are you, Clint? I'm hanging in, I'm hanging in. And of course, also with us, our resident watery tart, throwing swords at everybody, Michael Calibro. Cal, what's up? What's good, Clint? How you doing, man? Uh, you know, I'm just real excited to be here to talk about the movie that we're talking about this week. We are, of course, uh, in the throes of our second season uh, of the Top 100. It's our community season. And I think this week, the movie, it's dealing with community on, on, on a weirdly smaller. It's an epic movie, but we're dealing with community on a smaller scale, a smaller round table shaped scale. So we're talking about Monty Python and the Holy Grail. If you will not show us the Grail, we shall take your castle by force. You don't frighten us, English pig dogs. Now, this movie, uh, I think, broad strokes, initial thoughts, is so fucking good. It's it's, it's real fucking fun. incredible. Any yeah. any counterpoint to that? You guys want to? No, <laughs> I think no. I think when you talk right? about movies that people get passionate about and like can quote. Like we all have those movies that we can quote line for line, watch every single scene and be annoying and quote every single word. I feel like this mm -hmm. is probably in like the top 10 of those movies in pop culture and the zeitgeist. It's just so quotable and the fan base is so passionate. Yeah, it's it just rips like every scene. Like I didn't like it's been a minute since I've rewatched this and I'm just like watching it. And yeah. like the first like five, six scenes, they're like iconic. Every one. When we start getting into the brilliant moments, yeah. I because I, I started making notes on this, and, and then I just realized I was just yeah. describing stuff that happened in every scene, because every every one of these scenes has something in it that, yeah. like, any other movie would be lucky to have one. Yeah, and this movie has uh, twenty five first, or at least twenty four, because there's yeah. a character named after one of the scenes in the middle of the movie, which is hilarious. Um, but. Uh, but some of the nuts and bolts about this, I mean, 1975, uh, the, the Monty Python Flying Circus, huge in the late 60s into the early 70s. And they, they were kind of at the top of their game here in, in the, the mid 70s when they were, were starting to get this movie made. Um, 
the Pythons themselves, Terry Gilliam, John Cleese, Eric Idle, Michael Palin, Graham Chapman, like I don't know that there's a group as far as absurdist comedy goes, certainly. I don't know that there's anybody that's more influential than Monty Python. Maybe comedy in general. Like, is there a more influential group of people than Monty Python was to comedy? That's more a really influential? Good I don't think more so. More influential? No. But I do think that there are people on their level. Sure. Like, like, they're on Mount Rushmore, for sure. Yeah, because, yeah. like, it, it's weird that this also does, like, a lot of things that Blazing Saddles does. And Blazing Saddles, I think, came out the year previously. So, like, they were clearly working on these things at the same time. And yeah. it's just, man, it's just so damn funny. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, and Mel, Mel Brooks coming out of that sort of, like, vaudevillian school of, uh, of comedy. And then these guys coming out of that just completely bizarre, absurdist, British yeah. school, which like you can draw a straight line from that to like the Garth Marenghi's and the the Mighty Boosh and things like that that, that we've gotten more recently. But um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, these guys did they were they were just so funny. This is going to be another one of those episodes where we're just kind of like, you know, it was funny when they did this. Um, <laughs> well, I will say sometimes when I'm watching but, like like these movies, like when I was watching Three Amigos, and like I'll just kind of jot down lines that made me giggle. And I found that the entire movie, I was just jotting down lines because yeah. they kept making me. There was too much jotting. There was too much. Hard to stop jotting. Dude, yeah. I mean, let's um, be real. I had to write down words phonetically so I could bring them up here, right? Like, like <laughs> the, the offhand, you mean? <laughs> like the off, the offhanded joke on Arach, on arachno syndicism, right? Which is you know like a, a a political philosophy that is just offhandedly joked about about how like. As, as the king is just like walking through a field, like mm -hmm. it's that kind of like sophisticated humor that just like blows my mind that it's just so funny and so accessible. Yeah. Then, and that and line now. comes that line comes sharply on the heels of peasants going, "Oh, there's some lovely filth yeah, over here." Yeah, like it's just that balancing act of just absolute absurd non sequiturs <laughs> and like brilliant political satire like yeah. that happened within seconds of each other in the same scene is is amazing so yeah i mean it's it's that kind of like dumb absurdist humor and biting political commentary <laughs> like happening within seconds of each other in, inside of the same scene that make this movie just really something else but like these guys individually like they went on to do obviously terry gilliam uh you know time bandits and brazil and the adventures of Baron Munchausen and on into fear and loathing in Las Vegas. So like he's done some truly bizarre stuff uh, since this. Um, that's always a lot of fun. Um, John Cleese, probably the biggest, biggest globally known, I guess, name out of the, out of the group. Uh, but then, I mean, everybody else is Eric Idle and Michael Palin. Every, Michael Palin and death of Stalin is still just so, so funny. Um, and then Graham Chapman in this movie, like he's just, he's such a good straight man in this, in this movie, which I'm, I'm just poking around and reading about it. It's like why, why they chose him to be King Arthur, because he was, he was the best straight man out of, out of all of them. And everybody else wanted to be like, you know, what is your favorite color and, and all of that stuff. And he's the one that got to do the, the heavy lifting straight man stuff. Stop. What is your name? It is Arthur, King of the Britons. What? Your quest to seek the Holy Grail. What is the airspeed velocity of an unladen swallow? What do you mean, an African or European swallow? Huh? I I don't know that. 
But I mean, but it's just this so group of guys. It. Yeah, it, it, like I, I don't yeah. know. His King Arthur really kind of sells it for me, even though he kind of yeah. has the least flashy role. Like I don't know. There's just something so earnest about. Like, yeah, you really do believe he thinks that he's destined for this quest. You know. He grounds the absurdity, right? Like even because like King Arthur can't be absurd, or else that the movie doesn't work. It's just yeah. like the the circumstances are absurd, but without but he just plays it so straight, and it's just so much fun. And like everybody, everybody plays off him so perfectly. It's it, it's a blast. Well, he's he's the one bit of energy that I mean, every comedy needs it to some degree, but like he's that one bit of energy that, that's saying like, wait a minute, what? Like, which I think he literally says a couple of times to a couple of different, like, you know, the knights who say knees, like, wait, wait, hang on, a shrubber? Like, what? so, um, well, I think yeah, too, and he, like the, he plays the that energy rabbit, so well. And the Trojan rabbit scene, I think uh -huh. he is the one who's like, well, who's going to come out of the, <laughs> which is one of my so favorites. Who jumps out of it again? And then like the <laughs> face palm kind of, yeah, no, he's, he's great. But I mean, so we, we talk a lot about too, I mean, this movie's from, from the seventies and, and. You know, I, I like to, to ask what people's relationship to, to like, what was the first time you guys saw this movie? Like, how often do you revisit it? Because like this one for me, like, I, you know, Cal, you mentioned it. You haven't you haven't revisited it in a little bit. Um, but and I haven't either. But there was a stretch there where it was like every six months for me. That, like this you know, movie every six months. I Oh, I mean, it, it's one of those things where you run into it and I'm not going to turn it off. Or like, I'll think of something, somebody will quote it, or I'll think of something that reminds me of it. And I'm like, yep, you know what? Time for you, Monty Python. You can't turn it off. It's impossible. Every scene is just a bang. Yeah. Like, I don't think I've seen this since college. And all I kept on thinking about is the Simpsons reference where Homer goes to college. And then like all his nerdy roommates keep on making the Knights from me joke. And like, <laughs> like, man, that scene is so good. Like all, like all of those jokes are just so funny. And it's just like, I remember just thinking that this was really, really funny. And I don't know why I never revisited it as much, but yeah. like so much of the humor that I like, I love and cherish from like the, the eighties and nineties is direct progeny of this. We were talking about how seven samurai was foundational action cinema. I, I think that this is like part of the, that same vibe for comedy. We talked a little bit about this before we started rolling here, but I mean, do you think that you can make this movie today? Like would this, would a movie like this good. at all be possible today? W wouldn't be a smart cause you know, like it's, you know, like some of the potty humor and stuff like that, like that shit was still work, you know, like, like the burning the witches and things like that. But like all of the class warfare jokes, I don't know if they would land the same way, but like the killer rabbit would, you know? Yeah. I just, I, I just don't think could. Making... I think I, I could see studio notes ruining this movie because this movie is essentially a series of vignettes that has a vague through line, but often just goes off the rails. I could see someone being like, Hey, we need to make this movie more coherent. And that would be one of the worst things you could ever do to this movie. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I just yeah, can't too. imagine like, like David Zaslav or Bob Iger being like, yeah, that's fine. This makes no sense. They don't get the grill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause to your point, right? Like even the plot in and of itself is like a joke, right? Cause though like, it's the it's probably the flimsiest part of the movie and i think that i think that is by design and the whole point I, of it yeah. is like it, the whole point of it is just like you need something to get them from this one scene to the next right but like, well, like there's it, no catharsis it, here 
No, you end on a literal no. cop out. Like that's how the movie yeah. ends. <laughs> it doesn't have an ending. Is that where the saying? Is that where the saying came from? I'd I was like wondering that because I was like, that's very from. literal. It can't. <laughs> it be. is a cop out. But I mean, I I do think that like you know a movie like this, if they would ask you to either be smart or dumb, right? Like yeah. lean into one, lean one direction or the other. Like I don't know that movies are are. It's rare that they're allowed to be to be dumb in a really smart way. Like, and because I think I think you end up getting, you end up getting the the spoof spoofier comedies. Yeah. Uh, but like, then if if you're not doing that, then you're like doing the lobster. You're doing like Yorgos Lanthimos stuff, where it's like really bizarre, absurd humor, but it's dark and can kind of a drama also. Like. Yeah, if like Step Brothers had class warfare in it, you know. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You're either getting yeah. Step Brothers or you're well, getting the lobster. And by the way, like I, when I was looking back at reviews, it it got a lot of mixed reviews at the time for like those reasons. Over time, we've like come to enjoy yeah. it as like one of the, the classics. But no, a lot of people didn't like how incoherent and kind of like inconsistent it was. But like that's the joy. Of I it. I read one negative review that was like it's slow. I'm like what? Yeah. Wait, slow <laughs> like, is not a criticism. I understand. It's ninety minutes and it's hilarious. The whole like what? How it's is just this joke slow? after joke um, after joke? Yeah, yeah. But that is one of my one of my one of the things that I do like uh, about doing research on on these movies, particularly the the older ones. That you know, reading about the people that didn't like it when it came out is is fascinating. I mean, there are, there are negative reviews about literally every movie, and it's easy to forget on a movie like Monty Python. Even Monty Python had negative reviews when it came out. So, yeah. and to be fair, I think There's, when I first um, watched it, I first watched it very young, and I don't think I understood much of it. Like I remember watching it in an eighth grade advanced English class. And just a lot of the jokes flying over my head. And it wasn't until I watched it yeah. in like college where I was like, oh, that's hilarious. That makes well, that's, that's And that's smart. the great thing about it too, right? Is because in, in the meantime, there you like King Arthur standing off to the side going, a duck is hilarious no matter how old you are. And <laughs> then like, so and, but then you get a little older and then you start to realize the context of that whole scene is just yeah. so, it, you know, but and, the, uh, and then the castle anthrax sequence when they started cutting to everybody like get on with it like that kind of joke is half funny when you're a kid but then you, you start to realize just how how sharp it is like when you get a little older Whoa, i just think it's like so far ahead of its time just because it's like like so much of it is like a postmodern deconstruction of like of like of elements and you know like tropes and scenes like you know from the coconuts to everything else and it's just like yeah. is this so early that like film criticism just wasn't ready to accept the brilliance of postmodern like postmodernist comedy at that point in time i don't know because, it's strange because the, the flying circus was so popular yeah and i and i think that there was probably there was probably some amount of like this belongs in three minute at a time sketches yeah. Like you try to do a 90 minute movie and it doesn't work. Like we can't blow up your style of comedy and, and make it worth 90 minutes. I think that was, that was probably more of that than it was anything else because yeah. they're like, their comedy was, was huge. Yeah. Um, but, so but to your point, like a lot of those criticisms are like the plot doesn't really matter, which is like, right. you know, a joke in and of itself. Right. So it's like, mm -hmm. you're criticizing a joke of the movie in and of itself. So it makes me fundamentally question if you, get it all the way. Right. And I mean, and like, they probably didn't. I mean, and that, that's the thing too about yeah. like, you know, we're talking about these sort of foundational text kind of movies 
where they have to be to a certain degree ahead of their time because if yeah. if the what they're doing still works for decades after then like yeah they were they were doing some stuff that people hadn't tapped into yet yeah um and I think but, part of the uh, reason why it works too, in a way that like a lot of kind of like the SNL movies, a lot of those don't work is because they didn't try doing anything different than what they do. Like, it's not like they were like, oh, we're turning our sketch show into a 90 minute movie. It's like, no, like, let's yeah. just make a bunch of sketches that are vaguely related. And that's why it works yeah. because they didn't try to like reinvent the wheel of what works. What's, what's also funny too, is there's, uh, have you guys ever read any of the original like Arthur legends? Or like yeah. translations of them and everything. I like I, I, I poked but... around in them. I poked around in recently for for a whole other thing. But what's funny about especially the first before God comes to visit them, right? Yeah. <laughs> like before God shows up uh, as a, like animated and angry God shows up to to have them go find the Grail. Like the the first twenty some odd minutes is weirdly faithful to the Arthurian uh, legends. Like it's just a whole bunch of stories about random fights and Hey, you're smart. Come, you know, come join my, my brotherhood and my, my, and he's like, great, let's go. And like a lot of people showing up and getting into sword fights and smoting their enemies and then realizing that they were actually pretty cool guys and feeling bad about it. And Oh, well, I guess I'll marry his wife now. Like it's very strange, very <laughs> it's, it's, I don't know knighthood and and honor and and all of that stuff was so weird in those stories but like it it weirdly matches what like they were being uh halfway faithful to those actual legends which is fascinating but like to your point right and like i'm bringing it back to like the arachno like cynicism joke element right like one of my favorite lines in the movie highlights the absurdity of all that and and is credibly um what's the word i'm looking for here like credibly authentic to the, the source text where it was like the one guy's like listen strange women lying in ponds distributing swords is no basis for a system of government supreme executive power derives from the mandate of the masses not for some farcical aquatic ceremony like yeah. that both a watery touches, tart throwing yeah. a sword at you yeah that <laughs> also they have bi-weekly the meetings <laughs> like they have the most organized like set of government yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's so good and and like I mean, that's what makes that humor so smart because it's it's massive intelligence that like lives on to this day, which I think is like yeah. really, really fascinating. Yeah. Smart, dumb humor is is hard to do and hard to do, even harder to do really well. I don't know if you guys are big podcast people, but like the I feel like I see a lot of this humor in the Chapo Chafra's uh, Hell of Presidents podcast that's going on right now where they do the same kind of thing where they talk about politics, but do it in like this like dirtbag kind of like absurdist humor that like very much echoes this. And it's just funny to see that this movie is so influential that it transcends not only decades, but mediums. I, we'll I, have to I go check that out. Thing, Shout out to Chapo yeah. Chop House. Yeah. <laughs> Big uh, I don't know what a podcast is. We don't, we don't do this. Um, we don't do this. No. It's on uh, YouTube, right? <laughs> um, yeah. but like the other reason i like how it, it's take on on arthurian legend is it's so unglamorous like truly all of these legends were just guys in really clunky armor just kind of clanking around yep. fumbling around for months and months and months like and that's what this is like it's not just the comedy it's kind of historically accurate as well yeah yeah it's fun and you know they they picked two castles to shoot it in because they didn't have but i mean that's the other thing that we can talk about too in, in terms of i i think one of the most interesting things about this uh this movie is like 
how cheap it was. And some of the funniest things about the movie were products of it being it needing to be cheap. And there's there's a couple of the the coconut thing. Because they literally couldn't afford horses, so they're like, "Let's let's lean do something it. smart. Yeah. Let's lean into. Let's be who we are. We got no money, and we're gonna and we're we're goofy people. So like now we're gonna have servants behind you with like you know coconuts. Um, the- and then the 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 ending too. The ending is is a product of them just not having any money. They had another idea for like an actual battle, but they were like, "No, we can't afford to do that. So never mind. We'll just have the cops show up." Which the fact that the cops show up, show up. <laughs> and arrest King Arthur—it's—it's it's so we we can talk more <laughs> so about the ending stupid. later, but uh, it's so dumb. But then the other the other incredible thing too about this movie being sort of ahead of its time is is how the movie got financed. And I don't I I might be blowing a torf here, but this is a thing that I, I it wasn't too long ago where I think it was Michael Palin that was that was talking about it. Um, but the way that they got the money to make this movie was they got it from rock bands. Yeah, yeah. Like Pink Floyd, baby. Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, uh, Ian Anderson from Jethro Tull. Like I think Elton John supposedly Genesis made. Yeah. Like there's rock bands put up the yeah. money for this, and they didn't want it back, and so yeah. they weren't in there. Like this has got to be commercially successful because I got to get the that return on my investment or whatever. They were they were doing like a write off, so they were like, yeah, sure, and that's how they came up with like it was like four hundred grand at the time. Uh, in dollars or uh, I, the numbers I read were in pounds and convert. I don't know what it was, but point true is pa- it wasn't much, but it was, it was, yeah, the true patron of the just arts, true patron of the Floyd. arts, right? You know, just like, uh, the Beatles financed, uh, the, uh, the Holy mountain by, uh, uh, yeah. Alejandro. Well, and, and George Harrison actually did, yeah. did life of Brian too. Like yeah. he, he, there was life of Brian was uh, apparently controversial enough that they lost some of their funding like three weeks before they were going to film. And so George Harrison just gave it to him. Which is incredible, but I mean that's the kind of thing that you you need that sort of situation that that to to actually get away with doing whatever you want. To your point too, right? Like one of the other things I think we need to discuss is like the comedy in this film is so utterly brilliant that the complete and utter lack of experience in making movies in no way takes away from like the comedic brilliance of this right no. like there's in, in so fact many, i think it helps yeah mm-hmm. there's so many inter there's so many interviews where like terry gilliam and terry jones are talking about like yeah you know we learned how to make a movie while making a movie and yeah. you could see it in how like these scenes are constructed you know it's very rudimentary coverage it's the wide you get the extreme close-up of like john cleese like you know hassling them from you know his place of power in in the in a, in a castle and then the close-up of them uh, and then the close-up of the rest of the of the pythons you know responding and it's like literally just like three to four shots no real camera movements nothing like that it's just like set it up have it roll we're gonna play to the camera and then like that's the entire scene and yeah. what's fascinating is that like Terry Gilliam throughout his career becomes a way more sophisticated filmmaker but at this moment in time in this film, it's co- like the coverage and the setup and stuff like that is so bare bones. And in no way do you not only not notice it, but it doesn't take you out of it at all. Like yeah. it's it's elegant in its simplicity. It looks more or less like their show always did. Their show yeah. was always basic. I mean, because the show's not, a, it was it was broadcast TV. Uh, and so like, it couldn't be too, too crazy. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's all, because the there's nothing technical that's the star of this show. 
Like not even a little bit. Like it's not supposed to be. It's not meant to be. It's this is about the jokes and the humor. Um, and to a certain extent, the animation, <laughs> but like, oh God, it's, it's not going to, there's so nothing, funny. there's nothing special about the way this, I will say though, like there, there is some legitimately good editing work that's done yes. in this movie. Uh, and we can highlight that in a couple of places here, uh, as we get into brilliant moments, but is, is there anything more in, in general, we got to talk about this because I, I feel like I, I, we're, we're getting very unstructured in how we're, we're praising this movie. Well, we I feel like that's that. fitting for a very unstructured movie. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah, okay. Well, let's yeah. uh, then here comes, here comes God to give us our, our holy commandment to go and talk about brilliant moments. Your knights of the round table shall have a task to make them an example in these dark times. Good idea, O oh Lord. Of course it's a good idea. Now, I had mentioned this before, but um, I started making notes about everything I thought was brilliant. And I was just listing every scene. So this is going to be difficult. But to start off with, the jokes in the opening credits are some of my favorite in the entire movie. I, I love a good, I love a good goofy list joke. And the fact that the fact that it just starts in these like fake Swedish subtitles, and then it gets into mooses, and then it gets into people being fired. Uh, the those who were supposed to sack the people that have just been sacked have also been sacked, and and then it turns into the llama thing with the the flashing lights at the end. And it's the the fact that we're three minutes into this movie and all we've seen are the opening titles, and there's some just legit absurd brilliance happening already is so much fun. And and then like the Zuckers would take that like just like take that whole concept and ape it and like the naked guns and airplane and stuff like yeah. that like the the. The fact that even credits aren't, yeah, like like are are a place where you can put jokes is also yeah, it's it's know. all real estate, and that that yeah. really establishes a lot of what they're doing here, right? Because I mean, every square inch of this movie is just covered in jokes, um, and even even the opening credits are you know, and yeah, the Zuckers. I remember in one of the first times I noticed them this doing was in Hot Shots. Yeah. They put recipes in the middle yeah. of Hot Shots. Yeah. like the title crawl at the at the end there's like a recipe for grandma's apple pie or something yeah. it's just something random mixed in there but like but yeah it's it's for sure the the llamas trained to mix concrete and fill out complicated insurance forms is just it's incredible well it also it really sets up something that the movie does so well too which is it never lets go of the bit even when it's like i think one of the great things you can do in comedy is push a joke to the level where you think that should be too much and then push it over that hump and it's the funniest thing in yeah. the world like by the time you get to the third or fourth card that's like and then we sack those people and then you said like yeah. you would think that the joke would be stale but no it's way funnier because they doubled down on it and you see that throughout the movie you see that with the coconuts you see that with like the swallows joke coming back over and over again like mm -hmm. it's 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 such a good like again it's something i think that would be lost in studio notes if this movie was made today I totally agree with you. I think the best example of that, at least my favorite example of that, is like the roundabout logic on how they get to the woman being a witch. Of oh my god, that's a really like, yeah, I agree. Yeah, like like they're just sitting there. It's like clearly you're a man of science, and he's like, well, what also floats a duck, and it's just like, and then it's a like if she duck. a duck, yes. and if <laughs> if she weighs as much of a duck, then she must be weighed. She must be made, and of then wood. she actually weighs as much as a duck. a duck. Yeah. <laughs> A 
Oh, hang on, hang on. Before before we get too far there, I, I do want to I do want to rattle off the rest of this because I, I before we get too far away from your point, Alex, about um, about taking a bit as like farther than you think. Like there are there are a few times, uh, twice in particular, where they get self reflexive about how far they're taking a bit. Like oh, they yeah. do it in Castle Anthrax later, where where it's it's like I was a little worried about them when they were writing the scene, but I love it now. Like that. <laughs> Like where you can be self-aware and you can be a little meta while you're pushing a joke and that allows you to push a joke even farther, you know? Um, so like putting your finger on a thing is sometimes the best way to like get some more mileage out of it really. But, but then after the opening credits, uh, it becomes this, just this murderer's row of, of iconic comedy scenes. Yeah. And it starts with right off the bat, there's the swallows and the coconuts. You know, a, oh a fully laden uh, African swallow, perhaps if he grips it by the tux, by the husk, you know, like that, that whole conversation, um, which is followed immediately by bring out your dead. Yeah. Uh, I'm not dead. That, that whole thing. That also has like one, some of my favorite like humor in the movie too, right? Which is what they, they really, they really play up the gallows humor really well, which is like the cheapness of life of just like, well, he's not dead. We'll just. Yeah. Think I'll what? go for a walk. walk. Yeah, like help me out here. <laughs> I and, feel you know, great. Like, yeah. yeah, there's like four different times in the movie when someone is on the cusp of living after fa after facing serious injury, and then it's just like it, it's just inconvenient for the characters yeah. for this person to survive, so they kill him, and it's so good. well. The the sequence in in Swamp Castle that we'll get yeah. to later too is like that. But the so after bring out, well. yeah. yeah. Yeah, after bring out your dad, uh, turn then then we get to the politics bit, where he walks Crap. up behind somebody. Excuse me, old woman, Someone? man. I'm, I'm 37. <laughs> I'm, 37. <laughs> I'm not exactly old. Yeah. Uh, uh, you could call me Dennis. Point, I didn't know you were called point, Dennis. Like, see, this is the problem yeah. with this movie. Like, yeah. as soon as you start saying one line, like the rest of the scene just kind of barfs out of you, and then cut to an hour later and we and we're like you know what let's just sit down and watch it this is how i end up watching this movie every six months i'm 37 i'm not old well i can't just call you man you could say dennis i didn't know you were called dennis contained herein are the heresies of radolf burntwine erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator join me as i uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Well, it starts so strong, and like, Cal, what you were saying earlier about, like, you kind of forgot how much this movie rips. Like, I sat down to watch it last night, and I was like, like after the swallow scene, I was like, God damn it, I'm gonna, like, not to spoil God. where this is on my list, but I'm like, I'm gonna get... <laughs> I regret yeah. not. Yeah, but so, like it starts it's it starts so good and then it just never slows down. It never there's, slows down. There's the politics bit with the the them gather they literally gathering filth. Yeah. They're gathering filth. That's their job today. It's they're just throwing mud on top of a little But then after that scene, uh it, it's the Black Knight. He drive he rides away from that scene and then he meets the Black Knight in the forest. Yeah. And this is again, these are back to back scenes 
And then after okay. there's the fight with the Black Knight where he chops all his arm. It, no, it's just a flesh wound. I've Wait, had does it, does, No, you doesn't haven't. That, doesn't that come later? Because I feel like they go back to the Black Knight, right? Like the first one is yep. like he destroys all those people. And then they're like, will you join us? Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. And he's like, no, well, yeah, because he's yeah, he's we, in the middle of a fight when King yeah. Arthur shows up. And, and, and he's, he's like, like when, you've proven your worth, Sir Knight. And will you join me? At, and he doesn't say anything until he tries to walk past him. Yeah. And he's like, and that's when the none shall pass thing like. It's uh, it's such an incredible scene, and he just leaves him there with no arms or legs, like still talking shit, still like, yeah, run away, you coward. Like, yeah. but then after the the Black Knight, uh, then we go into the to meeting Sir Bedivere and the witch that weighs the same as a duck, yeah. and that like, is these are all bangers. Those you just scenes a are bunch back of to back yeah. to back. I mean, and that's credits funny. The swallows yeah. and the coconuts con- conversation is hilarious. Bring out your dead. Then the politics bit with with you could have called me Dennis. Uh, I didn't vote for you. Then the Black Knight. Then the witch that weighs the same. Like six scenes, and this gets us to about twenty minutes into the movie. We're not even a full. We're like a reel and a half into this movie, and those. I mean, any writer or filmmaker or anybody, if they had those six scenes across their career, like hang them up. You did. You did the Lord's work. Good job, man. That's what? a wonderful career. You can go do something else now. But these guys have in their first movie in the first 20 minutes. It's insane. They just made a bunch of really funny sketches. Again, like I'm going to keep saying yeah. this. That's why the movie works. They're not trying to be a movie. They're trying to be a bunch of really funny sketches. And so that's what it is. You're laughing the entire but, time. I, mean, I, I do think they like, yes, 100%. But I do think they are more, more connected than even I generally will give them credit for because you can watch any of those scenes out of context and they'll work by themselves, right? Like you don't need the story to appreciate any one of those scenes. But I do think just having the tiniest little bit of King Arthur, he's off to find like the, the thrust of this part of the story is he's off to find knights, knights for his round table. Like that's just that little bit. And they were smart enough to find the funny bits and the things to make fun of along in that quest, in that bit of his quest and double down on the right things and make them just so insanely bizarre and hilarious. And I mean, that's, I don't know. I'm like mad at how good this is, you know, it's a hard movie to talk about. Yeah. But but to To your point, it's like another example of just like limitations breed creativity, right? Like the one of the most iconic jokes, right? How many film textbooks like use the coconuts as an example of diegetic sound? And it's just because they had they couldn't afford horses that this 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 meta joke on sound design and diegetic sound is now like the textbook example of what diegetic sound is. And it's all because they just didn't have money. And it's the picture, the-, the picture at the front of the chapter about Foley work yeah. is, is Patsy. Yeah. Terry Gilliam is Patsy banging yeah. coconuts together. It's a- um, to, to your point, Clint, about like it, it having a through line, like one of my favorite parts, and this goes back to the point about pushing a joke over almost over a line to where it's extra funny. They go back to all these jokes over and over again. So the fact that they commit to doing the coconuts and the little like stupid galloping the entire movie is the best part of that mm-hmm. joke. Like they never let it go. Well, and it's even so even when they get to the end, when the army like crests the hill, there's a bunch of guys doing it, like a bunch yeah. of other rain. Like everybody's doing it. It's, it's just, that's what they established and they're sticking with it. Like that's how they, that's how they go across country. I just, I, I don't want to like just 
say this scene is really funny over and over again but i do just just want to say the black knight we're gonna do we're gonna it's like one of the funniest scenes i've ever watched like i just kept laughing it's so funny yeah i mean how many of us have always said like tis but a minor flesh wound i forgot it came from this movie that's how like that that's gonna sound stupid but it's so ubiquitous i forgot it came from this (laughs) no that's i mean that's how you know it's it is supremely iconic it was just like i don't even remember where this came from you know um but so shortly after the Black Knight sequence, I mean, I think it's like pre, or not the Black Knight. So after the Black Knight, he goes and meets Bedivere, and then after Bedivere, they do like a quick little montage of like then he found Lancelot and Galahad and all these other guys, and then they show up, <laughs> then they show up at at Camelot and they do the Spamalot song, which has now launched and it, its own really incredible musical run. Um, Have you guys seen Spamalot? And then they stop. Oh. I haven't. No, no I always I wanted to go. Yeah. My mom, my mom was like, we're not paying for that. Cause like, I, yeah. yeah when we, Terrible. we, like I used to live in the city and that was like the one, like every time she would come to see, like, let's go see a play. Like, can we go see spam a lot? We go see spam a lot. And she's like, no, it's, it's too popular. And I eat too expensive. Oh God. What is she, Dan? You know terrible. what though? I did, the one, the one play I did get to see, I did get to go see the groundhog day play which was oh right the one with oh. the yeah the yeah which was which was quite good the interpretive dance with that was the drunk driving scene that's a real oh that's, that's really funny good. actually yeah yeah cre- that's that's using limitations creatively for sure yeah but i do want to talk to, uh, about this uh, the the camelot sequence because it's that you know the knights of the round table musical number um and like I said, I mean, it's the thrust of the first 20 minutes of this movie. And for it to end with King Arthur going, on second thought, let's not go there. It's a silly place. And then they just turn around and walk away from it. Like, <laughs> that's like the only bit of story that we can hang anything off of so far is just like, you know what? Never mind. It's, and then like the, the nuts, the sheer nuts to do that in your first movie is incredible like that's the only you can only get away with that in your first movie if a bunch of rock stars are paying for it you know like it's it's just it's such a the perfect alchemy of this movie and like the perfect storm that was the situation that got them to make it it's the only way this thing actually works i also forgot how they really do a full musical sequence like i don't know if i had it in my head (laughs) where they like see them singing and kind of walk away no you get a full song out of it and then they just dash it then they're just like no and the the way not coming back to this. it's a silly place yeah silly the place. the way that they also like force rhymes uh to camelot you know between we like to eat spam a lot i have to push the pram a lot like all of the, it's just what is this song even about it's just it's just <laughs> silly rhymes it's incredible um but they walk away from camelot having ditched the entire plot of the movie to that point and that's when they run into god and that is 22 minutes in and then now we've got a movie like 22 minutes in it's it's all of those incredible scenes that we've that we've seen so far and then now there's a plot all of a sudden because god's like go do this other thing then um which is it's just i mean (laughs) that's that's also it gives them a chance to switch styles too right like they start splitting up and getting into adventures, it gives them a chance to do a handful of things. Like number one, all the actors get to play multiple roles this way. 
by splitting up the main the knights like they can go do vignettes and then like john cleese can go and be some you know tim the enchanter while he's not you know it, and like all of they get to all do their goofy bits uh in as many characters as they felt like being uh which i think is playing to their strengths uh it also opens up the animation stuff too because like all of the uh the the chapters that they started to to deal with um and even the the monks hitting themselves in the head with the book uh transition into the like it's just terry gilliam getting to do whatever the hell he wants to get you know from one scene to the next uh you know with the animation is um like just god showing up out of the clouds establishes like the rules on which that makes sense like we can do that you know because i mean that's the, the thing about movies that don't follow any rules right is they have the good ones have to know the rules that they're breaking in the first place i i really think the animation is like one i don't i don't know if it's unsung i think people know the animation is really good um but when we really get more into the animation that's where it's like first of all this is a great parody of authorian legends and storybook tales but also it's just Again, it's that rudimentary kind of low budget. This looks really silly, but it just, it, that's why it works. And that's where it starts is the yeah. whole God in the clouds thing. Isn't that uh, Chapman? I think that is Chapman as God. Uh, yeah, I think he did the voice yeah. of God. Yeah. But it's hard to keep track of who's who in this because every, you know, it's, it's, uh, they, they all play four or five people. I don't think I noticed that when I was a kid. No, I definitely did Yeah, I definitely yeah, it only not. came to me when I was older that I was like, "Oh my god, they're playing all these characters." Well, this was my this was my introduction to Monty Python. Like, I I went back and found Flying Circus after Holy Grail. So, like, the fact that they're a a sketch troupe wasn't really kind of the what I was thinking about when I was watching the movie for the first time. So, um, it makes it makes more sense, like going back and seeing Flying Circus stuff. Uh, and like all of them playing different characters throughout the course of a sketch show that they would do it this way. But it, it is, it, you know, for a movie that is kind of lauded for its absurdity and, and how it's just, it's super random and the story doesn't really matter. Like they did pick a structure that played to their strengths in a really sharp way. Can we come up and have a look? Of course not. You are English type, sir. Well, what are you then? I'm French. Why do you think I have this outrageous accent, you silly king? I'm curious to know if there's a scene in here that we don't all think is a is a banger. Like, is there any fat to trim in this? Because so after the there's the French scene with John Cleese as the French taunter. Um, he's like, I told him we already have one, and then they're all chuckling behind the wall. It's God, it's so good. Um, what are your three? What 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 were what were your three hardiest laughs in this? Um, I think the I have to remember Black like thirteen-year-old Clint what I was laughing at then because I don't know that I've laughed at it the same way since those early because it's just it's a movie that is easy to memorize for me like I've always it's always been up there and so like I think it's um I don't know I think something that was probably very entertaining to 13 year old Alex and is still very entertaining to 31 year old Alex is I fart in your general direction. Like that is yeah, one of the yeah. funniest lines. And like, again, this is a really like smart movie in a lot of ways. And then you have a line like I fart in your general direction and it's hilarious. That. Yeah. I wave my private parts in your auntie's face. Your it's father just smells of elderberries. So good. Yeah. Just British. People uh, yeah. He of, might <laughs> yeah, British people making fun of the French. Of the French. That's, That's just, 
that's a you, you can't you can't go wrong with that. Oh no, you know what my favorite thing, and we haven't gotten to it yet. I would say my my what will always be my favorite scene in this whole movie is the uh, the holy hand grenade of Antioch. And, I was uh, read and reading the instructions. The, the number of the counting shall be three. It shan't be four, nor shall it be two, unless proceeding on to three. Like it's the the minutia of spending two minutes describing how to count to three. Is like it, what's so wonderful about this movie. Uh, those are all those are my favorite moments in the whole because it's similar to the to the two or three minutes that um, that they spend talking to the guards in Herbert's room about like you stay here and don't let him leave. And it takes two minutes to get through to these guards about stay in this room, don't let anybody in, and don't let him leave. And they just don't get it. And it takes three minutes to explain it. So it's incredible. It's incredible. And, and like that scene, like uh, the holy hand grenade scene comes like right after the rabbit just brutally murders all of those people. And, you know, yes, you you know that that is coming and it's still just like an excellent use of low budget because it's still extremely funny watching like just the mannequin drop after like the, the rabbit decapitates the first guy. Yeah. Like I'm just I'm well, and that's and that's where we can. It's some of these fight scenes, and we cruise past the the Black Knight scene without talking about this as well. But it happens in the Rabbit scene also, and, and this is where some of the editing really, really shines. Yeah, um, because they they really it's the most basic stuff. It's like match cuts and like you know hiding cuts in a whoosh pan and and things like that um, that allow for cheap decapitations and for swords going through the eyes and all kinds of stuff like that. Um, but then the the other the other my favorite editing bit uh, in the whole movie is uh, Sir Lancelot running towards Swamp Castle, yeah. and they keep reusing the same bit of him running until he's right there. Like that's a joke that is built on on a trope. Like that's a joke that's built on understanding the rules of cinema and purposefully breaking them in a way that we can that registers and it registers as funny, you know. Like that's where that's where this movie gets really smart from a technical perspective, I think. But I think it's just like the rules of comedy. It's very smart with too. like not to jump too far ahead, though. It's around the killer rabbit scene is Tim the Enchanter, where it's like you have this like great yeah. wizard. And they're like, what's your name? There are some who call me Tim. He makes such a meal out of Tim. And then, and then King Arthur's like, well, Tim, here's what we're after. Also, I feel like so that joke good. was for me because I don't think anyone else finds it as funny that Dune stars a guy named Paul as I do. So it, that felt right. like for me. Um, but that is like, good. Yeah. Um, but to your earlier point, Clint, about like maybe scenes that made me laugh the least i was trying i was like actually kind of trying to rack my brain about that i think if i had a, a break in the giggles um it might have been around like the wedding scene uh but even mm -hmm. that i still laughed like even like had some good moments where he accidentally like killed the the prince or something like even yeah. the worst yeah. scene he, I was still he runs yeah. through the wedding and he kicks the bride yeah yeah he kicks the bride in the chest <laughs> and and then, just... and, and and then the father does like the father won't even save the father-in-law. It's just like let him bleed yeah. out. That's another one where he has a guy yeah. go and he, he stabs him. Like yeah. just when he he was about to pull through, he felt death's icy grip yeah. upon him. And I said um, he felt. <laughs> yeah. So real quick though, after we're talking about just back-to-back -back bangers, after the the rabbit 
the Trojan rabbit scene, there is a wonderful hard cut from the Trojan rabbit falling to the slate of the documentarian. And then all of a sudden there's a modern day documentarian talking about what King Arthur was up to. And then he gets killed by a knight. Like, and at this, this is the point where it's like, we are like so thoroughly through the looking glass on what, and they call what, we're going, what we can expect from this movie. It's, it's such a, and for that and to cred- be a hard cut of the rabbit falls and then slate King Arthur. Now having been turned away by the French doesn't like it's, so goddamn they, good. They lower third him as modern historian too, right? I think it's like famous uh, I think historian. So. Let, me, let me check. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, famous historian. It's not famous historian. It's a famous it's historian. A, just one of them. Like it's yeah. just so generally like yeah. Um, That's something so like so historian... many of these jokes shouldn't be hilarious, but they're just so stupid yeah. and so smart. Like I, I feel like this movie is so stupid and smart at the same time. That's why it's like a classic. Then you have this this little aside where Sir Robin runs into the three headed knight in the woods. And the three-headed knight starts bickering um, just between themselves in, in a really funny way, but just long enough for Sir Robin to run away uh, and his minstrels to make fun of him. You also have but that even good that little, little that right before that. Yeah, like you have the song where they're like, he's so brave. He doesn't care about getting brutally decapitated and murdered yeah. and like, beaten to a fault. Like he's... And then from there, from the three-headed knight, we get into to Sir Galahad at Castle Anthrax. With Newt and Dingo and like the names of these women. It's like, we're just a bunch of lonely blondes and brunettes from the age 16 to 19 and a half. Like it's. it's well, also her whole like monologue this, about like, we just dress and undress and make exciting underwear. Yeah, exciting underwear is one of the funniest exciting lines. Exciting underwear. underwear. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I wrote that one down too, because it's so funny. Because this is another one, one of my favorite scenes that, that actually becomes very self-aware and like, they they admit that they're going too far, but then they make fun of the fact that they're going too far. They're like, you know, the whole thing about, oh, you know, we just sit around all day and bathe and dress and undress and make exciting underwear. And then <laughs> a couple minutes later, it's it's the like everybody else in the movie from what was it that the uh, the the politics uh, guys, their joke was like, at least our scene was focused and wasn't just a bunch of pussy jokes. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like, that, that made me laugh so hard. It's the, the way that, and then they use people that we haven't even met yet are commenting on the current scene. Cause we see Tim, the enchanter and we see the old man from scene 24. Like they're all like, get on with it. And like the fact that we can even make fun of how this joke is not a great joke makes the jokes Great. And like the the way that they're able to to weave that stuff in and be self-effacing that thoroughly and that sharply is I don't know. I mean there's this there's nothing there's literally nothing wrong with this movie. No. And I think I you mentioned this anyway. line earlier, but when when she was like, you know, we weren't sure about this line when the guys were writing it, but now now we like it. It's like yeah. they've almost entered. There's the direct address yeah. in the oh, scene. Yeah. Like she looks they at look the at camera. The camera. Like, you know, I was a little worried about the boys when they were writing this, but Yeah. No, it's like they they knew every single negative thing that someone might have said about this movie, and they're like, we'll yeah. say it first. It's which is so right. genius. Way too much peril. I can handle a little bit of peril. <laughs> also, like you said, the names are just zoot. <laughs> like yeah, it's Zoot, it's uh, Zoot and uh, Dingo, and I, I can't even remember the names of the the doctors. Um, okay, and then the whole funny. thing ends with her going, "Oh shit." <laughs> um, 
So then from there, the narrator gets killed. Yeah. While he's talking about swallows again, which is back to back. It's like, it's like this movie is, and, and the flying circus too, was so stream of consciousness, which is another thing that you see it, it you know, uh, Mr. Show with Bob and Dave did the same thing of just like, it felt very much like, you know, and I know this isn't how they wrote it, but it felt very much like they, they never went back and fixed anything. Right. Like they always just were just going to, they yes anded their way through an entire script and they got tired of a joke. So they literally like, we should kill the narrator here. So he stops making this joke about swallows. And that's, and so they did it. And it, it feels very stream of consciousness and very unedited uh, in a way that I know that's not that. I mean, there were drafts on drafts on drafts of this, of this screenplay, but like it feels so organic and so just thoughtless. It's just, it's just moving ahead and being hilarious uh the whole time yeah i i think but it's something i i thought about while watching the movie was, was how much as a writer that i struggle with like transitions like that can be one of the hardest parts of telling a story is moving one scene from the next and they just threw that in the garbage they were like we don't care like yep we're gonna end really abruptly yep. and the entire movie will end abruptly like we yeah and so transition we're gonna have we're gonna have an intermission with 10 minutes left in the movie oh god oh my god yes. i forgot about that until it happened and I, I, was like, I made a note about that too about yeah. like hey this intermission is really fun. Yeah. it's really funny because it's just it interrupts this moment on the bridge and that's really funny and then i looked down i was like oh god there's only 10 minutes left in this movie and that's really what an intermission <laughs> well i wish i so didn't funny. know how long the movie was like i wish i didn't have a way of checking the time because then it would be yeah. so much more jarring when it just ends 10 minutes later like oh it's so good yeah well it ends 10 minutes later just to skip straight ahead to the end but there are three minutes of just black screen and, and organ music like it's you know it's uh, the the version of it i'm looking at is an hour 32 and at an hour 29 the organ starts which is just three solid minutes of a black screen and an organ music so we talk about like jarring jarring endings get on with it yes get on with it enjoying the scene get on with it but this this swamp castle where where lancelot can't think of the word idiom um and then he just goes and he kills everybody and the, even the scene with with herbert and where herbert is even like mother like, i'm father's uh, father and then later the father does it too he's like alex no, herbert uh, herbert <laughs> like it's every little bit of this there's there's no tangents there's no anything it's you know concord getting shot with the arrow and being like actually i think i'm good to go with you so he's like no no well and like even the knights of need he even like, chops the flowers like, i'm sorry yeah. i made a note about that too he's running he's killing everybody and he's running up the stairs and lancelot like chops at the flowers on the wall like he's literally killing everything in his path so funny well, that's Sorry, kind of go like, ahead. like there's um, no, but like the whole Knights of Knee thing, I could see that being something that kind of like confuses me as a as a kid, where I'd be like, why is this funny? But it's like it's mm -hmm. funny because it's not, it's stupid. Like I, I can't like the last time I went to the Renaissance Fair, I literally just heard people screaming "Knee." That's how yeah. that was like this yeah. past summer. Like it knee. just it shouldn't work. Yeah, the animator dying as a way to so I mean getting to this holy hand grenade of Antioch scene. We talked, I think we, we covered it well enough, but like just making such a, a, a weird meal out of reading the instructions on how to count to three and throw a grenade <laughs> is, is so good. 
Um, well, and then was, from then on, the we realized that King Arthur can't say the number three. Right. He says five instead every time because, like, after all of that, like that, and that's that's the other thing too. It's so it's like after the entire uh, the entirety of the instructions about how to count to three, then King Arthur goes one, two, five, three, sir, three, and then throws it. Like he still screws it up, which is funny on its own. But then he spends the rest of the movie saying five instead of three. Like you have to answer these five questions, no, three questions, three questions. Like it's it becomes a joke that they that they beat to death. But the first joke was just a really clever undermining of how to count instructions on how to count to three. <laughs> and then it becomes a character trait. You know, it's, it's incredible. I mean, so the swallows thing started as them having a stupid conversation about, you know, whether swallows <laughs> migrate or not. It's the same thing. Like they just carry it. All, then it, really all, all, all the debate what how the hell they got a coconut in the first place. Yeah. You know, it yeah. really makes you think. Well, that, and it, it all started because they, it all started because they couldn't afford horses. <laughs> and, it's, and it's one of the most famous jokes of all time. <clears throat> um, we we should probably move on, but are there any any other? I think we touched. See, holy scene. hand grenade. There's about 20 minutes left in the movie. We talk about the uh, once they once they do the bridge, which by the way, like that's such a great payoff to the swallows joke. Mm-hmm. Uh, is the the bridge keeper the uh, scary African old man swallow? from scene 24? Well, I don't know that. But then just the and the fact that the guy didn't know what his own favorite color was. Blue? No, wait, yellow. What is your favorite color? Blue. Blue. No. I mean and then So good. But once they get across that bridge and Lancelot is already under arrest. Yeah. Uh well he did murder that guy. And then they, they run into he murdered everybody. The the fact that the French guys are already at Castle Arg. Oh, that like was it's also another, very it's funny. More than a, I, I wrote down Castle Arg. Castle Arg. Why would he chisel that? Um, but, I mean, let's talk about the ending real quick, too. Because, I mean, yeah. we touched on the ending earlier about it's everything is set up to be this last heroic charging the gates. You know, our hero's going to win valiantly moment which is everything that we know about the language of cinema that needs to happen in this moment, right? Like that's, that's the, the standard Arthurian tale. Uh, there's a, there's a, an odyssey and adventure with peril all over the place. And then he wins valiantly in the end. Uh, and then he just gets arrested. They literally throw a hood over him and shove him in the back of a, of a paddy wagon. Um, and that's, and they're just over. It ends with the guy, the uh, cop seeing the cameraman and be like, all right, mate, that's enough. And then he like puts his hand in front of the camera and it's, it turns into like a found footage movie at the end in a, in a strange way. Like it's, it's such a, um, such a non sequitur of an ending and all again, all, all because like I, I read where John Cleese, like it bugs John Cleese still, like that's he doesn't really. like it as much. Um, but everybody, I mean, and Michael Palin was like, no, nah, it's funnier. It's just funnier this way. It was cheaper, which is why we did it. But it also yeah. it's funnier. Which I mean, it all goes back to that like be creative in a box, and that's that's the best way to be. You know, and it just and it just plays off like the plot, right? Like even the the, con- the just the concept of needing to have a plot is a joke. There's yeah. no like there's no catharsis here. It's just we we told all our jokes. It's over. Well, and it's also too the 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 weird non sequiturs and and the weird tangent jokes like the the uh, famous historian making a documentary getting killed ends up being the catalyst for the end of the movie. 
Like he, he ends up being the reason the, like the way that the movie is just screeches to a halt because the cops investigating his murder <laughs> like, arrest King Arthur. Like it's, it's so insane. I'm I'm glad we're talking about it too because I I feel like the ending was one scene that I I really couldn't decide if I liked it or not because I actually think it's one of the less funny scenes in the movie and I understand John Cleese's issues with it because they were kind of the same issues I had with it but I think upon just thinking about it further and having talked about it more I don't think it could have ended any other way than just yeah. kind of saying like screw you what did you expect and I'm like also kind of a yeah. sucker for a middle finger to the audience. <laughs> it's like, yeah, this is yeah, the that, whole movie sure. you watch. Like you were expecting yeah. some big battle. No, it's a weird. It's a big choice battle. for sure. It's like a very Andy Kaufman kind of thing, right? Where it's like, it's a, it's a choice made that like makes the filmmakers laugh at the fact that the audience isn't going to get the thing that they thought they wanted. Yeah. And yeah. And it may I, not I work also... on the, it may, that's like one of the jokes that may not work on the first viewing, but it works on every other one. Yeah. I, but but that's the, the part of that reason and part of just to devil's advocate to you know why maybe this maybe it's not the right way to end this movie is like every every joke in this movie that like there's a setup to and there's a payoff and it's happening um uh it, they all happen within scenes right this is a, a a payoff to a joke that started 40 minutes ago you know, and so like that's why it feels that's why it feels very abrupt, and that's why it feels because they're the setup for this. You have to think about it for a second. I'm just like, wait, it, it's, you have to piece together the rest of this joke from scenes scattered across the previous you know hour and a half of the movie. So like the setup and payoff aren't immediately apparent, and like if you're just walking away from this movie, being like, well, that was kind of dumb, but then the next time you see it, and when the famous historian shows up 23 minutes into the movie. You're, it's he becomes funnier because you know how it ends, you know? Yeah, I, I, I mean, and to your point too about this movie actually having a plot, like that is not something that kind of works in isolation. I think if you <clears throat> aren't thinking about the historian, <laughs> the ending doesn't work at all. Um, yeah. Clint, you mentioned something about like them possibly, like they wanted to have a big battle with the rabbit or something, but they just couldn't afford it. I don't like, know how close they got to it but yeah that was what i read was it was it was uh all of the all of the knights that were still alive plus the rabbit plus the french guys had a big <laughs> you know because of the rabbit um honestly, had, I had a big big battle um which would would have been incredible like if they were yeah. able to pull it off i mean that's that's the Why? kind of but like i i don't need it I don't need, I, I mean, that it kind of reminded me of the Anchorman fight scene in the middle of of uh, I think, I like think that's thinking it. about it in those terms. I was like, it, that's probably where we ended up getting that. Um, you know, as a society, we have that, and it's from Anchorman now. Um, but that, I don't know. I, it was probably just an idea, and they knew that they could never afford to do it. Um, but it was on the table at one point, from what I understand. Pink Floyd didn't want to pony up to scratch for that. Pink Floyd, exactly. I was going to say, they could needed, they not they find needed, one more if, rock star? Like to yeah, <laughs> if they could have gotten Iron Maiden to chip in a little bit, um, <laughs> they were Iron Maiden one big enough at that point. So I'm really torn if if that um, would have been better. It might have been. I don't know. Like I, I nah. will say, the ending end was one of the least funny parts, but at the same time, it's fitting. Yeah. I respect it. Yeah. I, I agree with that. I think I think least funny by design, though. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I don't I don't know that it's meant to be 
Like, I think you, I think you get exactly what it is. Like it's that trolling sort of middle finger kind of, uh, you know, just uh, that have- absurdity, but it's, it, it works. It makes total sense with the rest of the movie. And we've, we've spent this entire episode talking about how scene after scene after scene, it's just banger after banger after banger. Like I can forgive them for having one scene that I wasn't like giggling maniacally at, at the end. <laughs> like they've earned that. I don't know, man. I think it works. I think it works so well. I think like, I'm fine, listen, I'm fine I, with it. I, yeah. I love watching that like little bunny Taryn to just like low budgetly tear into like people and watching watching the rabbit just like wipe out an entire phalanx of like Arthurian soldiers probably would be funny. But to your point, Clint, does it add like is it a necessary addition to the scene that I'm already dying laughing at? No. No. And I mean like like the 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 conclusion is not a laugh out loud joke, but it's still a pretty damn good joke. You know what else is hilarious about it though? It's it's two cops. Yeah, it's two cops, <laughs> yes. and there are it is a that. charging army hundred, of Arthurian knights. A yeah, yeah. hundred people charging, and then two cops show up, and everybody's like, "Oh, oh, oh, sorry, yeah. what? Sorry, like." That's illegal. (laughs) Yeah, he's like, this is a dangerous weapon, man. Like the fact that two cops shut everything down and everybody's like so skittish about it. It's it's hilarious. Like these are these are charging an ostensibly horseback, (laughs) like about to go storm a castle, and it takes two two cops to shut the whole thing down. And and they do it very politely, and they're like, yeah, back up, back up, and everybody's backing yeah, up. Like they're not like, even like mean about it. Yeah, it's so like I mean, it's one of those things where like the logic of this movie is such that that you you buy that it takes a second to think about that. It's like, wait a minute, no, like why would they have just charged right through those guys? But the you know the I guys was, that pulled yeah. up in a car yeah. in nine thirty two A D. <laughs> I will say it would have been nice to see the rabbit return because again, like of the bits that made me laugh a lot, the killer rabbit is probably in top five. Like, and to the yeah. point of like basically being a joke until it's way funnier than it was originally. I could have seen that with right. the killer rabbit. That could have been a, a beaten joke that became really funny. <laughs> So let's talk about movie lists. Um, this movie has, uh, it, of course, it appeared on top 10 funniest movie moments. And it was the Black Knight scene uh, was our pick for the category that dealt with the incongruity theory of humor. And that the the comedy really shows up in that moment. You realize that your expectations have been just subverted or thrown away entirely. And so that scene being being built as one where there's this noble fight between the two knights, and then it turns into just this ridiculous, like, I've chopped your bloody arm off farce. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like the the juxtaposition of those two fights, I think, is what is what we talked about in that one. It showed up in our most uplifting movies in the category that was dedicated to just pure silliness. So like there you go. It was is also number 17. This is interesting. This is make this is germane to our uh, show here. Um, this was from back in, in 2016. We did our, our 50 favorite movies of all time list, and it was number 17, uh, right between Spirited Away and Paris, Texas. Okay. So 
We'll see well, how that I, I, ranking holds up on the Cinefix Top 100. <laughs> um, that's that's where I stopped looking. I, I imagine it's gotten. We've done honorable mentions on on a handful of categories. Um, I think it got a shout out in top ten endings because uh, there was a category in top ten endings that was all about abrupt endings. And if we didn't shout it out there, that's a mistake, and I apologize um, because we just talked for fifteen minutes about how wonderful this ending is. Um, uh, again, it created the cop out. I don't care if that's true or not. It's what I'm going with. That's why we yep. called cop. Well, let's start that rumor. Yep. That's where the yep. that's where it came from. Mm -hmm. uh any like, other movie list you guys want to put it on i mean I, I think cal you said something earlier about like we talked about how you know seven samurai when we were we were doing that episode about how you know few movies have been you know tried to like as influential as that and same with star wars like i think we've quietly covered a lot of heavy hitters uh this season and yeah. this is one of them and by the way yeah. it wasn't on the list originally i don't think we've acknowledged that yet that like this was uh, uh yes oh yeah we did, this we, was right. about we, that. we we vetoed uh what was it that we vetoed we struck after? the three amigos this and we put monty python in, in its place yeah see which i have listen We're guys i've got feelings that. about it we'll get to it we'll get to it in a minute when we talk about where this you got feelings uh, that you made the right we decision. already know where it ranked because it's it's sitting in the same spot as as three amigos but we'll talk more about where we all had it ranked mm -hmm. um i do think there's room for it in pair in spoofs Parody Def and spoofs some, somewhere De in there. Yeah. Definitely in spoofs. Definitely in like mythology. Like the bet like best like movies about like mythology or legends. Sure. You know. Yeah, I, I'd put it I, there. Yeah. Comedies. I mean, not to compliment oh, yeah. Dan, the one, but this the fits one very that doesn't well. take it seriously. Yeah. yeah. This fits very well with Robin Hood. Like there's there's a lot of through lines with other movies we've discussed this season. Yeah. Bet. I do I do like you flagging though, Alex, that we've we have we have talked about some some very foundational movies here in season two. Yeah, mm -hmm. this is one of them. Um, like, yeah. yeah, top ten foundational text movies of all time. This lays the groundwork for so <laughs> much comedy that. that comes that comes decades later. This is easily yeah. as influential and foundational as like the Seven Samurai or like you know, Citizen Kane. Seven Samurai, Citizen Kane, Monty Python, Python. and the Holy Grail. Yeah. So it is written. So shall it be. Um, Anything, anything else we need to talk about for movie list before we move on to Torf? No, let's start tor Turf. Torf. Let's Torf. Torf it up. Oh. We have blown through a few. I actually have to see how many we have left. Uh, was the Rockstar thing one of them? Yes. And the way, yeah, and I have I to say, the was... way that, that Tayo set it, up, set it up was really nice because he said it was like George Harrison. That and yeah. No, because he did Life of Brian. Exactly. That was the kicker. Oh. Yeah, that's, um, that's one of those. It was a good one. Half falsies. Yeah. 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 Shout out to Tayo. We, I, I saw it and I appreciated it. Um, there's a couple. We still got a couple. Um, true or false? In Monty Python and the Holy Grail, the character Tim the Enchanter was originally scripted to have a longer and more complex name. However, John Cleese forgot the intended name during filming and improvised by simply saying Tim. One of my favorite lines of the movie. 100% true. It's, it's so Absolutely much true. Sure. That is actually false. That's true. Uh, what? Despite, yeah. Despite the widespread belief among fans of the film, John Cleese has refuted this rumor during a live tour in 2018. He clarified that there was no improvisation in the final cut of the film, which I think is a very common misconception. I think people think there's improvisation in the movie. There's not. Like, it's. No, it's I think I think they're too. Yeah, they're they're everything is too smart for it to to be. Yeah 
much of like I think I think all of their jokes are are so sharp and so well crafted that I don't think there's any any improv. But I I did I have heard that rumor before and I did desperately want to believe it. So it is really because that's the spirit I, I, of the whole movie, right? Yeah. Like the the pivoting to the pivoting to the weirder cheaper option. Tim. <laughs> No, but I I think my headcanon will still be that he just yelled Tim because it is, again, one of the funniest lines in the movie. Um, I like it. Yeah. Um, all right. True or false? Originally, the plan was to hurl a stuffed sheep at King Arthur in the final scene. However, they couldn't find a stuffed sheep, so they opted to use a dead sheep instead. True or true. false? True. That's true. That is true. They threw an actual dead sheep at him? Yeah. Dead sheep, yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. True. True. No. False. I'm gonna go false just to be contrary. Um. Astonishingly, that is true. <laughs> which is so oh, funny. Gross. <laughs> In the DVD commentary, Gilliam talks about the decision. He states that the assistant director discovered a dead sheep by the side of the road, which spurred the idea. Gilliam also recalls that the prop master was excited to use it, which is just maniacal and delightful. And I. Can you, ima- can you imagine just driving to work to someday and it's just like, oh, there's a dead sheep. Oh, shit. Let me use pull that. over. I can use this. I can use I'm going to throw that at Graham Chapman later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, isn't there germs or like sanitation? I, I mean, there's rules. This is why you couldn't make this movie again today. No. You, know? you would have to find a stuffed, uh, stuffed sheep. <laughs> You'd have to find, <laughs> a, at minimum, a live sheep. All right. This is our last torf because we flew through a few. Um True or false? In the initial draft of the screenplay, the storyline was split evenly between medieval times and the modern day. At the end of the initial script, the Holy Grail is discovered at Harold's, which is a, a department store. <laughs> that, that's also true. I can see that being an inversion of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, true. Yeah, that is true. Uh, in the DVD commentary, Terry Jones remarks on how it was his idea to set the film entirely in medieval times. But I like to imagine the the version of it where... They did end up just in like modern day London. I don't. I don't know. Well, if it's better. But the, I mean, the it kind of did. Does There's that. cops and cars, right? Well, that's yeah, true. the cop stuff does that. Does that on on I think the yeah. right kind of scale, like because uh, uh, you know Blazing Saddles did that too, like with the the breaking yeah. the walls down through the through the stages and you know fighting into the to a different studio and all that into stuff. The different um, sound stages and like now we're in a musical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I do I do like it. But I'm glad I'm glad they didn't do it. Yeah, I, I just like that. I just I, I like that they didn't find the grail. I just think that yeah. like it just makes the whole concept of a plot a joke. Mm-hmm. But then again, I think it would have been a really funny punch punchline if it was just like at a department store in like the clearance aisle or something. Yeah. <laughs> like, I also think that's a potentially a very good joke. Cop and the carpenter. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but that is, that is Torf. Yeah, in terms of where's this rank on your uh, on your movies about the Grail between this and, and Last Crusade? Well, I guess we'll probably find that. I I had Last Crusade ranked high enough. I think we'll end up talking about it, even if you guys didn't have it. But um, good Torfs. Sorry, we stepped on a few of them. You know, uh, Tayo, who's your MVP for the movie? I struggled with this because I feel like it has to be both. It has to be both Terry. Yeah. You think both Terry's? I mean, I like I feel like it's a tie for everybody. Yeah, I agree. But like the I will, Monty Python. I will yeah. say I think I think Cleese made me I think Cleese made me laugh the most though. 
Cleese was very funny. Right. Like when I think about the the, mm. the line deliveries that like had me just giggling and probably had my neighbors very annoyed with me. Like it, a lot of them are Cleese. But yeah, but I mean, my favorite so my favorite parts of these movies are the the little things like the reading of the holy hand grenade instructions and the the whole bit about you stay here and you watch him and then and the, even that bit where he's just like casually writes a note and like trying to discreetly like fire an so, arrow out the window yeah. like that is those tiny little things like that's groupthink stuff like yeah. the team came up with that stuff um, and like that's. I don't know that I can, even even though I guess like theoretically you give the nod to to Terry Jones and Terry Gilliam for for just because they're listed as directors, just because they um, did a good job learning how to make a movie while making. The, a movie. Yeah, yeah, but you know, and there's some of the editing choices like I because I, I looked up the the editor, the guy that that cut it is a guy named where did he go? A guy named uh, John John Hackney. Never really did anything else of of note. Certainly nothing on the on the. Monty Python scale. Um, but I don't know. It's just such a, such a well-crafted movie from script to, to, to screen that like, it's, I, I don't know that there's, I don't think there is one that stands out. I'm, I'm calling it a tie of a, a five-way tie. Just, I don't know if that's a, just, like, a, just a it's our show. I mean, yeah. Monty Python himself. If you guys I, are okay with that, that's. I was trying to force myself to pick between the Terry's. Uh, yeah, I feel if, even if better. If we could just not, say yeah. If we could give yeah. everybody a trophy, you know, that's real millennial. It's everybody gets a trophy yeah. day. Everybody no, honestly, gets- they didn't find the trophy. Like, that's the thing. None of them yeah. get the MVP. That's how it <laughs> Everyone ends. gets it and no one gets it. Everyone <laughs> everyone gets it and nobody gets it. That's why if everybody gets a trophy, then they're meaningless. We might as well not anybody get a trophy. Cal, we got time for one more one more segment before we talk about where it ranks. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So where does Nicolas Cage come into this movie? Do they have to take over? Like if, if he's taking over John Cleese, does he do every single John Cleese role? No. No. Okay. No, because re- I, I think you just, can replace we, him. Going, yeah, we're going by role, not by actor. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Honestly, I don't want him to replace John Cleese at all. I, I just think he's the Black Knight. I'm making it real. I'm making it real simple. He can just like overact that. We never see his face. That adds to the joke of it all. And yeah, you know, he doesn't materially affect some of the even better jokes in the movie. And I think he can deliver those lines of the Black Knight just as well as they have. I like that. That would be good. I, Who you got, Alex? I was thinking about Tim just because I love him, and I think it would be really funny mm-hmm. just to have Nicolas Cage just be like, "I'm Tim," uh, and I'm sticking with it. Actually, Tim the Enchanter. Yeah, okay. Cage. Right. Yeah. Listen, you can't go wrong with putting Nick Cage in a, in a role that big, like Tim the Enchanter or the uh, yeah. uh, the old man from Scene Twenty Four, the Keeper yeah. of the Bridge of Death. Um, I I'm gonna go. I'm going the other way though. I'm going Sir Bedivere. Ooh. I think he would have made an incredible Sir Bedivere, like him, just being like so self assuredly putting a witch to death because she weighs the same as a duck. Like I want to see that out of Nicolas Cage. Well, and um, this is one of those. And him coming, of- him coming up with the idea for the Trojan rabbit, and yeah. then <laughs> failing spectacularly. Like he would, he would be an incredible Bedivere, I think. And I do think Sir Bedivere is like his humor is in the writing and less the performance yeah. for me. So like you can kind of do whatever with with that character, and I, I think Nick, I think Nicholas Cage would bring something something else to that to Sir Bedivere. This is one of those movies where sometimes, like in this segment, I feel like I relegate Nick Cage to a not central role because I just feel like yeah. all the central roles are so good. 
And that's why that's yeah. why I, I I really liked like but like I don't know if I would replace him, to be honest. I don't know if the movie is better with Nick Cage and him in a large role, you know? Oh yeah, again, that's that's where I struggle with this segment is like I don't know that the movie's better. It would it would be great. It might not be. Him, and, but and, and, I don't know and, that it's better. And that and that's and that's kind of the thing, right? Sometimes it's like this this is the place where like this is one of those few movies where like we don't necessarily think he adds, so you gotta put him in a place where he would take away the least. That's what right. I'm thinking. Like I'm trying to think of like a funny bit. Like also him as God yeah. would be hilarious, especially if God, he never showed up again. Uh-huh. Like in modern day times, yeah. like just random God Nick Cage for one scene. Like that would be hilarious. Yeah, or or the the king of the swamp castle. Yeah, that something, would be good. Something like that. Yeah. He'd have been good there. He'd all he'd also be a good. He'd also be a good like the uh, the husband that's stuck in the. If like we did the. Uh, um, Peggy Sue got married. Nicholas Cage is like the guy stuck, like the guy stuck in the in the tower who's about to get married that doesn't want to. Right. Like the, those, yeah, those yeah, are like the those are the small roles that like he can make he could potentially add, but he definitely wouldn't take away. Well, and that's the fun thing about this movie too is like we just rattled off a dozen really funny roles that you know, you can kind of, you can see like, there's a different version of this role that's also really funny. And like all of these tiny little bit parts add so much to the, to the movie. And you can, Nicolas Cage fits practically anywhere, yeah. except for those first six scenes. Those are all timers. You can stay away from those. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's talk about where this movie ranks. Uh, I had it number 34 on my list. Uh, and the fact that it wasn't in the top 100 so that it was available to swap in for the three amigos tells me you guys didn't have it near as high and I'm already mad. I don't have it on my list. And that is a- You don't big, have it on your list. It's a fault. This is a fault. And you know what? I made sure to even do a comedy pass once I originally did my list to add some so I wouldn't be so fucking dour. And I just think it's been too many years since I saw this and man, what a mistake. Cal, I'm with you. I, I feel it's not on my list and I'm deeply ashamed. Uh, it's I, I don't think I've felt this not good about not having a movie on my list since Sunset Boulevard, which I think was like our second or third yeah, but, episode. But at something. least you didn't, at least, at least you hadn't seen that one yet. Or no, did I, you I see saw, that one? I, like, but in, oh, like, it was to be fair man. to me and like in, yeah, Third Man was different. Yeah, which I also yeah. kind of want to put about my list. Um, but this one I had seen. I just don't yeah. know if I had like formed a really yeah. strong connection with it. And now you've I, seen it, yeah. but did you really? I see saw it? it young. Like I saw it young too. Like I saw it in middle school. Like it is not a movie that I'm. I'm also being. With. I'm also being told that goddamn Dan didn't even have it anywhere. Well, you, I, you crazy. three fucking people would not put Monty Python even anywhere on your list. Yeah. Yeah, is shameful. It's a fucking oversight. I agree with you. Feel it, bad about it. I, I do. Just I do. from now on, please do. do feel bad. You're lucky. That Whenever I'm having a good day, for... I'm going to be like, God damn it. Just stop it. Month. Yeah, cut it out. You're having a good day? Cut it out. You didn't have Monty <laughs> Python on your list. Feel I'm actually bad. shocked. That I had, is, so three. Yeah. Like this is, this feels like three. a Dan movie. I want Dan to answer for himself. He can't. Yeah. Uh, that's part of the I, joy he of the show. And but... He won't, nor will we no. let him. No. Um, but uh, so Three Amigos was 66 and this swapped in place of of uh three amigas so it's now 66 on which is fine by me because i actually had it 20 so 20 or so spots ahead of where i had three amigos so um 
so that all that all checks out with me and so long as you guys eternally feel bad about this I, yeah, on some the, level this, this was this is an over and next time i'm in town you're buying the beer that we're drinking while we're while we're shooting this because Ab- you oh fucked me. up all we fucked you. up we yeah. you're up. welcome for having this so so where do we have an envelope where where does we it do we do have an envelope Where's, right here. Where did a loan number thirty-four from me get get a loan? A loan number thirty-four that was also vetoed and then brought on is where we said it was sixty-six. New ranking. Sixty-six. Yeah, that's right. the new ranking. Okay. New ranking. Because that's where that's where Three Amigos landed. Yeah. This is better than Three Amigos. I think we can all right. agree there. It would have been somewhere outside the top 100 without that, yeah. I guess. I've just been told that okay. this flap is actually functional. So the new ranking is 66, but, you know, to the constant genius of Tayo, he's managed to make sure that we even know the old ranking, which was 128. 128. That's All not right. that we bad. We need to know it's that kind of top 150 you know it's not that bad but i was the only one that made it not that bad so yeah, come on yeah, guys this is a testament to clint's efforts here not our i own. i am uh yeah Listen, I, I got we independence col- day and monty python my two big contributions <laughs> Listen, to the top we 100 we did collude the two for classics Tony, but, yeah. <laughs> two classics this one's a legit classic I fucked up. It is. We've, it we've really is. Yeah. So at some point, maybe we'll get through this top 100 and we'll all make new lists. And at some point, it, it goddamn well better be on every single one of your lists. Yeah. I'm, I'm even talking to Dan right now, even though I don't want to. But. I was convinced it was a Dan joint. Like, I thought I was, I knew you guys so well at this point. I was like, this is a Dan. Mm-hmm. I thought I knew you too, guys. <laughs> I and thought I'm, I knew you too. This really feels but, like listen, a before, movie too. Like, uh, you before, know what? Maybe he'll get. It's us an a everybody chance, movie, Alex. I know it's, it's everybody so movie. But listen, before I get too mad and I start ruining relationships in general, let's let's log off for the for the this week. Uh, thank you guys for watching and realizing Monty Python and the Holy Grail is is a perfect movie. There's literally nothing wrong with it. No faults to be found anywhere. Even though I ranked 33 movies ahead of it. Um, but thank you for that. Uh, thank you for apologizing for not having it on your list. I appreciated that as well. Thank you to our producer and head moose trainer, Tayo Yakin. Uh, Jamie Parslow taught the mooses to mix concrete and fill out complicated insurance forms. The suggestive poses for the moose were suggested by our technical producer, Marian Franzen. And Dan has been sacked. So next week, we are watching the perfect companion to Monty Python and the Holy Grail, Alfred Hitchcock's Rear Window. Hey, it's finally happening. What a lovely double feature. Uh, Work some Hitchcock into our diet here. But uh, but thanks again for watching, everybody. We'll see you next week for Rear Window. In the meantime, stay safe, be good, and we'll see you later. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues, and it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. 
You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.